Your retirement savings are in jeopardy. The banks and Wall Street firms are looking out only for themselves. The markets are confusing and treacherous to navigate without help. The number one financial question is, am I going to run out of money in retirement? Paul Merriman is here to help. Imagine putting your head on the pillow at night without worrying about your bills. Paul Merriman is an educator, award-winning podcaster, and best-selling author whose straightforward advice about retirement savings and managing money has been followed by tens of thousands of people. You have the chance to double or even triple your returns over a lifetime. And the sooner you start, the better off you are. Learn about his five life-changing choices to help you grow and manage your money in financial fitness after 50. When you follow my plan, you will have more money with less risk. And best of all, more peace of mind. Here's Paul Merriman. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Paul Merriman, and in this presentation, I want to discuss the 15 risks of managing your money. You know, all of us are in some form of business. When you have money in the market, it's no different than owning a business. And when you own a business, all of us business folks have responsibility for managing risk. We have, have to manage the risk of receivables. We have to make sure that we, that we have the right inventory and that we turn it over and, and that we treat our employees fairly. And all of these are ways of managing risk. And if we overlook one risk, it can cause a company to fail. Well, the same thing is true of the risk of your portfolio. There are risks that in order to make doggone sure that you don't fail in some way, you want to address every risk you know. And maybe in this list of 15, you'll find a couple new risks that you haven't addressed. The first one I'm sure all of you know, and that is inflation risk. We know that inflation generally is about 3%, but from 1970 to 1999, it was about 5%. And even at 3%, inflation is going to cut your buying power in half in 25 years. And so we have to make sure that we do something, particularly when we're reaching retirement, to be sure we allow our money to grow so that we defend ourselves against that need for twice as much money just due to inflation. And where do you get that? Well, you defend yourself against inflation risk by having some part of your portfolio in equities. Historically, equities pay about 7% over inflation. That's a huge premium because T-bills, the riskless U.S. government instruments, it pays about seven-tenths of one percent over inflation. So equities have been a far better way to protect against inflation. Bonds, they're a little more risky than T-bills, but bonds pay about one and a half to two percent a year over inflation. So bonds along with some equities, maybe even 20, 30 percent. I'd love you to have 40 or 50, but 
if only 20 or 30 percent is comfortable, it should be in your portfolio as a great way to hedge against inflation risk. Now, number two is business or stock risk. Now, I think you'll get the idea of stock risk or business risk if you think of the risk of having all of your money in Enron. Now, who would be foolish enough to do that? Well, the fact is, lots of Enron employees were foolish enough to do that and virtually had all of their 401k plans in Enron stock. It might be of interest to you, those of you who in fact have a lot of your 401k in company stock, that the statisticians, the academics, they say that the return you have to get from owning your company stock as a standalone versus the S&P 500 in order to make up for the risk you're taking of owning one company is about five times the, the, the return. In other words, you have to make a lot more to justify the risk of having all that money in one stock. And of course, the wonderful thing about being able to, to manage stock or business risk is anyone can do it. It's called diversification. What you need to do is to put your money into these diversified mutual funds to protect you against having too much money in any one company. Number three, manager risk. Now, what's manager risk? Well, let's say you put your money into a mutual fund and you pick one where the managers had a very fine track record. Bill Miller at Lake Mason Value Trust had a very fine track record for 15 years. And so it attracted a lot of money, and they thought he would, would be able to continue doing that great work. And then for the next decade, he was one of the worst performers in the industry. That has happened time and time again. Now, how do you protect against this manager risk? How do you protect yourself from hiring somebody who just is, for whatever reason, bad luck, has his or her mind on something other than the stock market? I don't know what the reason might be. It doesn't matter because you probably won't even know what really happened except you'll know you didn't make any money. So what can you do to manage that risk? Put your money in an index fund. An index fund doesn't make an attempt to beat the market. It makes an attempt to be the market. And so that is the perfect way to protect yourself against the risk of hiring the wrong manager. Number four, asset class risk. Now, first of all, make sure you understand what an asset class is. An asset class would be small companies, large companies, small cap value, large cap value, growth companies. They are a very large group of companies that have something in common. So it's called an asset class. The good news is you know exactly what you got. You might own all 500 of the S&P 500. 
You might own all 2,000 of the Russell 2000. That's a small company index. So you, you have the asset class. You have it cheaply. You have it tax efficiently. But what if that asset class falls on hard times? Just like industries fall on hard times, it turns out that asset classes fall on hard times. Look at the S&P 500. For the last 10, 12 years, had just barely broken even, made very, very little money. And yet there were lots of people who retired at the beginning of that period of time, and they said, all right, I know where I want my money. I want my money in the 500 largest U.S. public corporations. I want my money in an index that's done well for 80 years. I want my money someplace where I can trust that it will grow at a reasonable return because it's always grown at about 10% a year. And then for 10, 12 years, it basically does nothing. And that's a risk that you can certainly protect against or manage. And that's by owning many different asset classes. Because during that same time that the S&P 500 was struggling, Small companies were doing fine. Value companies were doing okay. Internationals had some remarkable returns. So diversification, it's not just a matter of diversifying amongst many different stocks. It's important to diversify amongst many different asset classes. And number five, manage market risk. Market risk. Remember we talked about stock risk. That's where a company hits the skids. But what about the market? Are there times that the market itself, all, in essence, everything goes down together? Yes, that's called a bear market. There have been 22 bear markets over the last 100 years. That's in order to qualify as a bear market, by the way, it has to go down 20%. But the average bear market, not counting dividends, has in fact lost an average of 35%. That's a big risk. And I suspect most of you, particularly if you're in retirement, do not want to sit through a bear market and lose an average of 35%. How do you protect against that? How do you manage it? You diversify. You diversify amongst bonds. You diversify, in essence, away from stocks and into bonds. And what that does, of course, is it lowers the volatility, it lowers the risk, and you can easily cut that risk in half by simply adding bonds. Number six, interest rate risk. A lot of people may not know that if you have a bond Let's say you paid $1,000 for the bond, and it paid 5% a year, $50. And then we go into a period of time when interest rates go very high. This happened certainly back in the 80s. Interest rates went very high, and what had been a 5% bond, now if you went into the market to get a new bond, they were paying 10%. So you put up $1,000, you got 100 
but you're still sitting on that old bond paying 5%, and you can't sell it for $1,000. Because you have to sell it for a price that you get the same 10% as these other brand new bonds. Which means that you're going to sell it for $500 if you want to get out. So even bonds have this risk, this interest rate risk, where interest rates can go up, and especially long-term bonds can go down. Now, how do you protect against that? Well, there are a couple of ways. One is you can build your portfolio on shorter-term bonds, maybe intermediate-term bonds, bonds that mature in two to five years, so that when interest rates go up, the bonds you own mature soon and you get to reinvest in the higher interest rate bonds. So you don't have that loss potential of 50%. This is what so many people are worried about today, is interest rates will have a spike and long-term bond principal values will go down. The other thing you can do is invest in treasury inflation protected securities. There, the price, in other words, the total return is going to be adjusting itself based on inflation. Short-term bonds, treasury inflation protected securities. Both ways to protect against interest rate risk. Number seven, credit risk. What is credit risk? Well, credit risk is the possibility that you're going to, in fact, find out that you have invested in a bond that has bad credit and you, in fact, end up losing money. Or the bond goes down in value because it's not a good enough credit. The company falls on hard times and what was a thousand dollar bond paying fifty dollars now because the company is failing is maybe an $800 bond or a $700 bond. Now the obvious answer to this one is to diversify in a mutual, through a mutual fund that holds many different bonds. So if one company falls upon hard times, you have the diversification of owning many bonds and it's just, it's no different than the diversification of stocks within a mutual fund. Now there's another way to do this. Uh, many of the folks I talk with, uh, when, I, when I look at their situation and how much they rely on bonds in their portfolio, and the older we get, the more we rely on bonds, I recommend to diversify amongst a number of different maturities, different levels of credit. In other words, some high yield, some high grade, some corporate, some government, some short term, some intermediate term. You can do a phenomenal amount of diversification that I think most people don't think about when they think about bonds being highly diversified. But absolutely, you can have massive diversification in bonds just like you do with, uh, with stocks. And number eight, tax risk. I think we all understand what tax risk is about. And that is Uncle Sam comes along and takes a piece of whatever we have every year if we're making any money. 
And that's a risk that we can, in fact, defend against and to manage. And it's a huge loss. If you spent the rest of your life, if you're a 25-year-old and you decided, ah, an IRA, 401k, that's not for me. I'm going to save in a taxable part of my portfolio. Well, the fact is, you're going to take a huge loss because what's going to happen is you're going to be paying taxes. And when you pay taxes, that money leaves your life and goes somewhere else. You keep that money in a 401k or an IRA, number one, of course, you get a tax break. You get a tax refund because you've done that. But number two, the money actually then compounds tax deferred or tax free. If you do a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA, you have the ability not only to grow your money absolutely tax-free, but when you take it out, it is tax-free. It seems too good to be true, and of course, who knows what future tax legislation will be, but right now, that's the way it works. But if you have investments inside of your taxable account, you want to be in mutual funds, particularly if you're in the stock part of the portfolio, if you're in equities, you want to buy and hold. Because if you're in a fund and you move around and have taxable events, that's going to cost you taxes. So you want to be able to be as efficient as you can tax-wise in that part of your portfolio. But there are actually mutual funds, taxable mutual funds that are managed to be tax-efficient. Some mutual funds are managed to be tax-inefficient. I know that doesn't seem right, but that's the way they're managed. And you have that choice in managing that tax risk. Do I want tax efficiency or do I, am I willing, because I think I can beat the market a little bit, to be tax inefficient? Index funds, of course, are a, a perfect example of a highly tax efficient investment. And then, of course, tax exempt bonds. That's a good way to be able to manage tax risk, is be in bonds that don't cause you to pay any taxes. And I think that for most investors, if you do a good job of tax management, you should be able to save anywhere from 1% to 3% a year in return by good tax management. And number nine, expense risk. Anytime somebody takes a whack out of your mutual fund and it's more than it should be, you have just suffered a loss. It's a, as far as I'm concerned, it's no different than a loss of the market going down, with one exception. It never recovers. The, the, the bear markets, of, of, in terms of the whole market, not one company at a time, but when we look at the whole market, there's never been a permanent bear market. But if you allow expenses to be extracted, that is a permanent loss. You can't make that back. That's like when you pay a commission to buy a load fund. That's an, an expense that causes you to suffer one of the largest single-day losses in stock market history. Not the largest, but one of the largest. 
Now, you could buy individual stocks, and that would be one way to completely eliminate the expense ratio of any mutual fund. But you can buy an index fund that costs you about one-tenth of one percent a year, and instead of having that risk of individual stocks, you will be broadly diversified. And number ten, event risk. Now, event risk is, is a very interesting risk to try to manage. See, you can't, you can't predict 9-11. History is filled with event after event that really couldn't be predicted. But you can always build your portfolio for that event. You can always be ready for that event. I know that sounds a little strange, but think of it this way. It doesn't matter whether it's an event or it's just an old-fashioned bear market. The fact is, a loss is a loss is a loss. So if it's the event that causes the market to go down, or a bear market because the economy, and we all know about it, is, is, is not doing well, so the market goes down, it's the same end result. So the way that you build to prepare for that event is to have enough in fixed income. That, in fact, would have the same power of protection as it would against any bear market. And then there's number 11, liquidity risk. Now, liquidity risk is simply the risk that you want to get out. You want to get your money. Anybody remember those limited partnerships back in the 70s? You got into them. In fact, you were told to get into them now because if you don't get in pretty quick, they're going to be gone. And now you want out and you can't get your money. And I think that the way that you manage liquidity risk is to stay liquid. Don't put that money at risk in a way that you can't get out. And what's tricky about that, because I bought some of those limited partnerships too, and I got stung as well. So I know this feeling if you have it. What they told you when you bought that limited partnership was, you know something? You, you, mean, you can see how excited people are about getting it selling like hotcakes. It's going to be gone in about a week. You've got to get in. And so if you want to get out, no problem, Paul. I mean, we can't guarantee you a market. But we know there are people who are interested in buying this because, look, they're buying them right now. But, of course, it's when they're not doing well that nobody wants them. And you end up having to sell them at garage sale prices. So my view is this. If you can, now I'm talking about your passive money, not, not money you have in your business. I understand you have to give up some liquidity there, but in your passive part of your portfolio, I don't think you ever have to give up liquidity in order to achieve the rate of return you need. Now, maybe there's some unbelievably high rate of return you want, and the only way you can get that is to give up liquidity. But under normal circumstances, any good mutual fund that gives you one-day liquidity should, in fact, take care of that liquidity risk. And number 12, fraud risk. Now, I'm a little harsh about fraud. I've had people tell me that I'm unreasonable about the concept of fraud. 
But I encourage you to look up the uh, definition of the word fraud. It turns out that what fraud is, is where somebody misleads you for their own purposes, their own good. That's not a legal definition. Nobody's going to go to jail because they misled you for their own good. But I think that ethically, that is a legitimate definition for what fraud is. And so if somebody makes a case for something that this is all in your best interest, this is not about me, this is about you, I'm doing this for your good, but in fact it's being done to feather that person's nest who's trying to sell you something, I call that fraud. And I think that we need to do all that we can to make sure that we are in a relationship of trust. See, this is not, this is not about just making a bad decision. People, good-hearted, hard-working people will recommend things that turn out not to be a good decision, not to be a good investment. But beyond that, what can you do to protect yourself against that kind of fraud where you're being misled? Well, one thing is don't ever invest impulsively. Don't ever get suckered into immediately moving to action. I talked to a young man who had recently left one of the largest brokerage firms in the nation. And he was one of 10 people who in the Seattle area worked at a certain branch. 10 people who came in all as greenhorns. And by the time he left, he was the last person standing. All the rest of them had tried to sell things to their family and to their friends and had, in, in essence, not been able to make it in the brokerage business. And I always shudder to think how many people were hurt in that process. Unfortunately, family and friends. But then he told me an experience where he had his manager there with him as he was making a presentation to a new prospect. And it was in the evening, and they had asked a lot of questions, and the, the young fellow could tell that these people wanted to think about it. And so he said, look, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of information from you. I've given you a lot of information. Why don't you go home and think about it? And they said, yes, I think we should do that. And they left. And the manager looked at him and he said, don't you ever tell somebody to go home and think about it. You, all what they call ABC, always be closing. And I think that when we get it, we don't even know it. We don't even know that we're being manipulated like that. And so our, our policy is, as investors is that we simply don't make decisions impulsively. In fact, if we're smart, we get a second opinion because it's just possible that somebody else will be able to see what the weak link is in this particular uh, opportunity that you have to put your money aside. Number 13, emotional risk. Biggest risk of all, the risk that causes people to buy high and sell low. People think they're in control. People think they know more than they really know. 
People think, all of us almost, we think we're above average. There's a book that I've recommended many times. It's, uh, it's entitled, uh, Your Money and Your Brain. And I remember one of the chapters started with a story about a survey that was taken in Seattle, where I'm from. And the survey was of people and trying to find out how they saw themselves as drivers. And as a group, these people saw themselves as not just above average, but in about the 85th percentile, I believe it was. So these were really good drivers. The thing they all had in common is they all had just been in a major auto accident and were found guilty of being at risk or at, at fault for that accident. And yet they still saw themselves as somebody who's a pretty good driver, 85, 85th percentile. So if we have these conceptions of ourselves and, and, and our ability to be better than others, how do we protect ourselves? Well, I think the answer is, of course, to automate the process. Make sure we understand that we are about to lose money. We are about to put our money someplace where part of that process is not just making money, but part of that process is losing money, and that we're going to build our portfolio within that risk tolerance. And we're going to add money in a way that we don't stop when the market starts down. The best thing that can happen to a young investor is in the early years to have the market go down. That's actually to your advantage. But oh no, oh my God, the market's going down. I don't want to be putting in the money now. So you automate. You set it up with dollar cost averaging. You do all the things that you can so that you not only get the return that this market gives in the long run, because historically it does, but you got to be there, and you got to be there always, in a sense, in order to get it. And number 14, advice risk. You know, what if you retire, and you look to advice to somebody, maybe they belong to your church, maybe they belong to Rotary, Maybe, by the way, their heart is good, but they give bad advice. I have a picture in my office of a tugboat uh, painted by a man who has since deceased. Wife, in fact, um, I don't get a chance, don't, you don't hug many people the first time you meet them, but she gave me the biggest most the warmest hug I've ever had in my life for somebody I just met. This was one of the nicest couples I've met in my life. And uh, they came to me through their nephew who said, I think my aunt and uncle have a problem. It turned out these loving, trusting people had inherited $50,000. It was basically all they had other than a small pension that was about to start as he retired, and Social Security. Had a house that, uh, uh, that in fact, uh, had a small mortgage on it. Very small. It was going to be paid off by the time he retired. So he talked uh, with some friends that they were about to inherit this money. Turned out one of their friends, they thought, was the church choir director. 
So the church choir director sat down with them and told them, this is what you should do. He even tried to get them to, to get a bigger mortgage on their home because they needed to get some money to work. And leave that money in CDs and utilities? No way. Are you kidding? How are you going to make the money that you need in order to get where you need to go? Because it's, it's, In fact, he made the point they couldn't even count on Social Security for sure. Well, I guess you could say that, but... But, 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 but that's a very cheap sales pitch to, set, to scare somebody. And what they did was, they did. They trusted him. They cashed out everything and put their money into limited partnerships, ill-liquid limited partnerships. Two of them, I had never heard of such partnerships. He put them into palm tree partnerships, a coal mining partnership, that I had heard of, and into a very aggressive loaded fund. Well, the good news is that uh, with a threat of somebody going to jail, they got their money back. I got a painting. But that would have ruined their financial life. That was going to give them an extra two, maybe $3,000 a year. I know that may not sound like a lot to a, a, a lot of you, but to these people, that was going to be the ability to do some gifting. Gifting that they would not have otherwise been able to do. And even at the end of this, this whole thing, they still couldn't bring themselves to believe that the church choir director could do this to them, they thought he was just misdirected. But the reality is, and I, I can't tell you that he was a crook, maybe he was just completely incompetent, but those people should not have been in illiquid, they shouldn't be in palm tree limited partnerships, but they were about to have that be their retirement investment. But there is a place where you can go there is a, an approach to giving advice. You make sure whoever you use as the person who gives you guidance is a fiduciary. A fiduciary is by law required to act in your best interest or get in really big trouble because a fiduciary has to, even if it means that they can't make the sale, has to do only what is in your best interest interest. Number 15, the biggest risk of all is outliving your money. And what do you do to make sure you don't outlive your money other than to move in with your kids? Well, one is you make sure you have the right saving plan to get to retirement with enough. You have the right spending plan now, that's a spending plan now because that impacts your savings plan, but it's a spending plan too when you get to retirement. And number three, you automate. You automate to make sure that you don't get hung up in all of the emotional traps of investing and money management. And you find someone to ask questions 
You can intuitively do all of this if you want. But there are people who are well qualified to answer questions. You don't have to turn your life over to somebody else. But if you think you've found the right answers, you've put your plan together, you got what you got to save, you got how to invest, you got how much you're going to need when you retire, you got all that together. Spend a couple of bucks and find somebody who will review that situation to make sure that you are on the right path. And I think you take your spouse with you through this whole process. Agreement on all of this with your partner, I think, is a huge step in the right direction. So there they are. Those are the, the, the investment money management risks that you must address. Every one of them, if you manage it right, can lead to more money. Every one can lead to less risk. And hopefully, you put them all together and you will have peace of mind. All the peace of mind that you want to live a wonderful retirement. Thank you very much.